Hello and welcome to the Second Tier Podcast. I'm Ryan Dilks and I'm joined by the Les Dennis to my Emmanuel Dennis. It's Justin Peach. Good day to you, Ryan. Is Les Dennis still alive? Yeah, 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 I think he is. He is? Okay, yeah. I was questioning myself for a second whether that was minorly offensive. Justin, how are you? Yeah, really good, thanks. That, 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 one, that one tickled me, that was a good one, I, I like that. And Les Dennis is a legend, so it's finally I'm being involved in the niceties of uh, these intros, it's good. Justin, I'm complimenting you every week by doing this. <laughs> yeah. uh, Les Dennis is still alive, I'm glad to report uh, for our <laughs> listeners. Um, Justin, we're back to talk about week two of the championship we'll be previewing that in this episode are you looking forward to what's going to happen in the next couple of days in the championship obviously can you not tell I'm buzzing i'm excited it was um it was an interesting opening weekend as we saw the stat that we put out about it being one of the lowest scoring weekends or the lowest scoring weekend in championship history um or an opening weekend so yeah hopefully this i mean it can't get much worse in terms of entertainment although we do have huddersfield birmingham on friday night as the live game so yeah <laughs> we'll see <laughs> yeah i don't think it was particularly boring of an opening weekend despite the lack of goals really i think it was every team was just trying to keep it tight weren't they because mm-hmm. that's what you want on the open day you just want to not lose even though obviously some teams did lose um so just keeping it tight as possible at the back. Hopefully we'll t- see teams going a bit more up and at them this weekend. <laughs> but welcome to the number one championship specific podcast, the second tier. Thank you for joining us wherever you are. This is the midweek edition of the second tier. What we're going to be talking about on the show today, ladies and gentlemen, is Watford v Sheffield United, which happened on Monday night. We'll talk about Watford's win and what it means for Sheffield United as well. We'll look ahead to some of the games coming up this weekend in the championship. Then we'll talk about some of the news from the past few days and finish off with the classic did he or didn't he which is back for a new season on the second tier but before we get underway let me tell you listener about our friends at Fansbet, the fan-led sports betting company committed to supporting charities and causes which are important to fans do check them out by clicking the link in the description of the podcast and claim your 200 sports deposit bonus of up to 200 pounds terms and restrictions apply full details on site 18 plus please do gamble responsibly visit begambleaware.org for more info and do also check out fans bet responsible gambling tools so Jao pedro goal gave watford a 1-0 win at home to sheffield united a good game a really good game actually both teams had bright moments didn't they but i always felt watford wore the more likely out of the two justin yeah, especially as the game went on, I, I became increasingly impressed with Watford and their ability to mix the game up quite a bit. They were, they did play the balls into the channel quite often, but they were able to to get the ball into the likes of Pedro and Dennis and and get further up the pitch. So they're quite direct in that sense. Um, and Sheffield United, a bit of a bright start, but they did fade quite quickly. I think they they ran out of ideas in terms of how to break Watford down because Watford were very resolute, very organised, out of possession. And yeah, it was a very good game and, and, and two players in particular really impressed me from Watford's perspective. And um, yeah, it was a, it was an impressive start for, for Watford. I was a little bit surprised, actually. I thought it might be, I thought it might take a few more games for them to get to a level where they could compete because Sheffield United, tough, tough, tough opening game. Yeah, I thought Ken Seema was quite good at left wing back as well. Someone I hadn't really thought about too much heading into the mm. season for Watford, but he was handy when they got promoted before. And I thought Kamara was really good on the right, which isn't his usual position, but mm-hmm. he was really handy too. But João Pedro was class and Justin Emmanuel Dennis was simply ridiculous, wasn't he? 
how he didn't get on the score sheet, I have no idea. But the number of times he got the ball with his back to goal has took on two or three players and created an opening for Watford was just miraculous, wasn't it? It was outstanding uh, individual brilliance from Dennis at times. Um, there was one point in the second half that I found quite amusing. Can you remember those kick balls, the ones that used to strap around your leg? Yeah, yeah. Um, a younger audience will not know what they are, but they were a real thing. I got some for Christmas one year, actually. <laughs> Didn't help. Um, but there was one point where Dennis was running with the ball and it never left him while he was holding off, I think it was Norris and Davis. So to display that level of athletic ability with the technical skill of dribbling and that ball never looking like it's going to get away from him is absolutely brilliant um, and I'm really looking forward to seeing what he can he can do this season as long as Watford don't sell him he could score a shed load of goals this season couldn't he because he just he just looked so much quicker so much stronger than um, the players around him and mm-hmm. keep in mind he was playing against the Sheffield United defence which is one of the sturdiest defences in the division mm-hmm. but at times he looked like he was just playing with the youth team, didn't he? Um, it was pretty remarkable. And considering, I don't know how he didn't get on the score sheet, but if this is a sign of things to come, then Watford have got themselves a wonderful player, haven't they? And fingers crossed he stays, although I don't think that'll be uh, a, a sentiment that's shared amongst championship defenders <laughs> this season based off this performance. And um, One concern I'd have, and it's kind of a nitpicky kind of concern, is... Um, from a Watford perspective, is Ishmael Assar's performance. He wasn't bad by any means, but having watched this game, I thought he wasn't being used to his full potential. He was sl- playing slightly narrower than he usually does, and it didn't seem to suit him. We all know how talented a player he is, but he hasn't really played anywhere different than being on the far right, has he? Hmm. So he did get an assist, but despite that, he didn't really have as much of an influence on the game as other Watford players, which I thought was interesting. It may have just simply been a bit of an off day for him. Not really a massive off day, but you see what I mean. So I'm not overly worried, but I'll be interested to see whether Rob Edwards alters it over the coming weeks, or if Saar simply just has to adapt to the system, or whether they just sell him. It's a it's an interesting scenario, actually, because the latter two obviously seem the most likely I think if you if you look at the system now deployed by Rob Edwards does Ishmael Assar fit in it at the moment probably not but he's a talented player he will fit in but if they get a bid for 20-25 million pounds which could happen you'd be inclined to maybe sell and put a little bit of a sell on percentage in bring a player in who you know is going to fit the system. I was, I was quite impressed with um, Ray, Ray Minaj as well when he came on. Ray Minaj, I can't remember how he pronounced his name, but he looked um, he looked a very tidy player when he came on as well. So a lot of strength in depth at the top end of the pitch. So it might not be as significant a sale if they do if they do decide to get rid. Overall, I'm, I'm guessing we are agreed that it was a promising, good first outing for Rob Edwards' as Hornets. Absolutely. As I say, I, I thought they were very um, organised defensively. I thought the back three were brilliant um and um, Daniel Batman was 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 good as well I think the only only time Sheffield United got in behind um Daniel Batman stood stood strong although the shot was straight at him from Indai um so yeah really really promising start really impressed with them yeah I agree Sheffield United weren't bad were they I think it was always a tight game but they just were slightly off it compared to 
um, Watford. They did have a bit of an injury crisis. Ahmed Dozovic, who they have signed for £5 million in the summer, he didn't play because Sheffield United didn't know he was still serving a ban. <laughs> and someone just completely missed it, apparently. And uh, Paul Heckingbottom was very annoyed about that. Uh, Basham and Robinson both suffered injuries in the days before. Robinson, I think, may be out for a couple of months because of a, a clash he suffered in training with Sander Berger, I think. Um, so that was interesting. So Sheffield United going from a lot of centre-halves to suddenly having to play Reese Norrington Davis at centre-back, which is by no means ideal. So whether that affected him or not, not too sure. Um, but the standout player for Sheffield United, Justin, was clear, isn't it? Illaman and Dai, I thought he was great. He, the number of times he had to come into his own half to get onto the ball... Um, was worrying, but at the same time, when he did have the ball in his own half, he still looked a threat, didn't he? He was making things happen and just backing into um, the opposition players, muscling them off the ball and then outpacing them, turning them and suddenly breaking off into the opposition half. So he looked really, really promising, didn't he? And at the moment looked a man full of confidence. Well, exactly. Um, he's a, he's a, anybody who plays in that sort of position needs to play with confidence and die had that in him and I think that was one point I don't know whether he was having a go at a teammate but it just shows that he he knows he's the main man this season for Sheffield United going forward and I really like that onus on on him because I think that's going to get the best out of him I think it gets the best out of those sorts of players where they need to um, they need to know that they are going to be relied upon and uh, that showed that showed uh, in the game I do think without that ball going into Ndai they did look Sheffield United that is they did look um a little bit bereft of ideas going forward. I don't think the wing-backs were used as effectively as they have been in the past. I thought Jebbidson had his had his moments. Um, I mean, that looping shot was... He had to dig that one out. It was a, a really good effort. Um, the one that Backman tipped over the bar. So there are there are good things to come from Sheffield United. And as you say, that, that back three did look makeshift. It really did look makeshift. And I think once they get players back in, um, they will look a lot stronger. I think Tommy Doyle in that midfield as well would give them a lot more oomph going forward. I really was a little bit disappointed with John Fleck. Uh, I thought he was quite untidy with the ball and a little bit slow in possession at times. And, and Sander Burge played with shackles. He didn't play with the power um, we know he's got. So yeah, definitely, definitely more to come from this Blades team. Justin, we've now seen all the championship sides in their first outings of the season so far. Um, so with that being said, may I ask which team impressed you the most after the first week? Um... I think Luton impressed me with the amount of chances they created but the concerns are they didn't put the chances away but that will come with games but actually the team that stood out to me was Cardiff um, I was really impressed I think their goal was was um, a really good insight into how they're going to play this season you know there was really short interchanges of passes before Romain Sawyers who doesn't score often or if at all um, really did Ben that one into the corner um, you so think the, you meant that? I... Well, it wasn't a pass, was it? It was an overhit through ball if it wasn't. Romain Source does not overhit passes. I can tell I'm you that sure. for Carry on. <laughs> um but yeah, Cardiff impressed me because again they, they, they kept Norwich at bay, they matched Norwich physically. Um and they they chose their moments to attack, which is an, an interesting um an interesting not a conundrum, but a balance that Steve Morrison is going to have to uh, compete with this season because 
while they're going to want to play a possession-based style of football this season, we know that they're going to want to play out from the back, they're going to have to choose the moments against the teams that do have a better quality of player in them. And they did that against Norwich, and I think that's a really mature way of approaching games. I think it's a game that is hard to judge Cardiff on, simply because Norwich were really, really poor. Um, and while Cardiff, it, of, co- of course it's an impressive result. I don't think that's, I think that's undeniable. They did manage, I think it was 0.08 XG from the whole game because they just didn't really trouble Norwich at all until the goal, which I don't think Romain Sawyer's particularly men. But um, <laughs> I think we'll find out more about Cardiff in the coming weeks, really, as opposed to this one performance. Um, the team who stood out for me the most from the opening weekend is, without a doubt, Burnley. How they've gone from playing such a completely different style of football to what we saw on Friday night is miraculous. It was a complete, it was chalk and cheese, wasn't it, from the style of football that we've been known with Burnley for the past few years. But Vincent Company seemed to have this drilled into the players already, which is really impressive considering he's only had a hold of them for a matter of weeks. So, yeah, Burnley were without a doubt the side who stood out to me the most. And they stood out despite not having some of their key players in this team. I mean, Maxwell Corne, he's a bit touch and go whether he's staying or not at the moment. But if he's playing, that'll be amazing. Scott Twine came off, uh, came off the bench for the last few minutes. He, he will be an integral part to this Burnley team. So, yeah, this was a brilliant showing and it's not even Burnley at their full strength and that's frightening from the perspective of other championship clubs. Uh, Justin, let's have a quick break. After that, we'll talk about some of the games coming up in the championship this weekend and talk about some of the news from the past few days. back to the second tier podcast so let's look ahead some of the big games in the championship this coming weekend Justin on Monday night West Brom play Watford I assume Watford are just going to be playing on Monday night for the rest of the season um we've spoken about Watford at length already haven't we um West Brom we touched on in Sunday's episode but what are you thinking ahead of this one Justin well it's uh, a clash of two teams who have got good squads I was going to say spent heavily but they haven't I mean Sure, West Brom have increased their squad size with some really talented players and probably chucked a fair few wages at the likes of Swift and Wallace. Um, and Watford likely you know, will already have their Premier League budget as well. So, yeah, it's just certainly going to be um, an interesting game from that perspective because you've got two very good squads coming coming together, Much probably much like how the Watford-Sheffield United game came up came about. But Monday night at the Hawthorne is going to be a good atmosphere, first game of the season there. It's um, Yeah, it's going to be a good one. And... You know, if we get the same Jed Wallace, John Swift link-up play that we saw against Middlesbrough, and if we get Emmanuel Dennis on form and João Pedro, ooh, it's going to be a good one. Yeah, it's going to be a proper thigh rubber, this one, in terms of the individuals that we have in front of us for both these teams. It's a boring answer, but I think this is just going to be down to whoever defends the best, um, because keeping a hold of the amazing attacking talents that both these teams have is uh, going to be really, really tough for uh, both defences in this. So it could very easily be a high-scoring game, this, but uh, uh, we'll have to wait and see. Can I get a score prediction from you, JP? Yeah, I think given how resolutely 
Watford defended against Sheffield United. I do think it will be a 1-1 draw. It's very boring, but there'll be a lot of shots, there'll be a lot of chances, but I think a 1-1 draw probably the easiest outcome here. I'll go with 2-2 draw with the most likely winner probably being Watford, just because I was so impressed with the link-up between Pedro and Dennis. At Saturday lunchtime, it's Norwich v Wigan. Norwich put in arguably the most underwhelming performance of the opening day, so they'll need to put in a good showing here, won't they? Yeah, Wigan will be... Licking their licking their lips at this one, um, I think it's, it's it's going to be a difficult one for Norwich again because we saw Wigan, although they did create a fair few chances, kept Freddie Woodman busy against Preston. They did lack that clinical edge that might play into Norwich's hands a little bit. And as well as that, Norwich have got the hangover from the Premier League relegation, and also they were very disappointing against Cardiff. Are they lacking a creative spark? Yes. Do they need a little bit more time? Do they need more central midfielders? Yes. Um, so I think this is a really good opportunity for Wigan to get a result on board and pile the pressure on Norwich because I do think it's leaning that way. The narrative that is leaning that way towards yeah putting the pressure on Norwich. Well, Wigan had a lot of shots on goal, didn't they? But nothing too threatening particularly. I think they'd rip your hand off for a point at this point, wouldn't they? Um but from a Norwich perspective, if Norwich weren't to get a win here, I could see Dean Smith being under a lot of pressure. I think he's under a bit of pressure already after, obviously, the relegation last season, whether I don't think that was particularly his fault, but still, I think that comes with expectation for them to bounce back. And that Cardiff performance was really, really dire. And if they were to fail to win here and show that that Cardiff performance wasn't a one-off, Dean Smith could be sweating a bit. Yep, absolutely spot on. And I think as well as that, physically, Wigan are a brilliant team. They've got a lot of hard-working players and they're going to make it really uncomfortable for Norwich. Um, like they did for Preston. Preston were a possession-based or a possession-based side. Um, and they're going to be they're going to be compact, they're going to be in their shape, and they're going to get in your faces as soon as you get into their half. So it's going to be a slog of a game for Norwich um, and one that they're going to have to find a way to win. But I can see the crowd getting a bit uh, maybe a bit angsty at times. Um so I, I really do fancy Wigan for this. I really do fancy Wigan for this game. What, uh, lunchtime kickoff as well at Carrow Road. Hmm, yes. Interesting. Score prediction then, Justin? I'm going 1-0 Wigan. Wow. Wow, he has called it already, ladies and gentlemen. I'll go for a Norwich win. I, I like to think it was just a poor performance against Cardiff, but... Only time will tell on that, won't it? Burnley v Luton, that's an interesting game, isn't it? I mainly included this because I'm very excited to see Burnley play football again. Um, but both teams expected to go quite well this season. Luton at least expected to challenge for the playoffs. Um, what are you thinking here? Yeah, I'm just thinking, when have you ever said that sentence? When has anyone ever said that sentence? Really excited <laughs> to see Burnley play football again. Yeah. <laughs> I think, I think again, it's going to be a game where you've got Luton who are really good at creating chances and tactically Nathan Jones will set his side up because, as I say, we were all a bit surprised and maybe a tad blown away by how effective Burnley were um, in possession. But I don't think they're going to get that the amount of freedom that Huddersfield allowed them, especially in that first half, the amount of or how standoffish Huddersfield were. I think it allowed Burnley to play a little bit. Luton will not do that. They will be, again, they'll be compact in their own half. But as soon as you start to get into a, an attacking position or start to develop your attack, they're going to get in your faces. They're going to kick it, going to make it very ugly and make it very difficult for you, which I imagine Burnley might not be used to playing that way. Again, playing in the Premier League, there aren't many teams who will play that 
um, that that industrial side of football. Um, so again, I, I can see this one being a very uncomfortable game for Vincent Company and Burnley, and perhaps probably more telling than the uh, the Huddersfield win was for them. Yeah, I completely one hundred percent agree, Justin. Huddersfield stood off Burnley, didn't they? Luton won't do that. So Luton are going to get in Burnley's faces, and this will be a, a really interesting ta- uh, tester for how Burnley adapt to that and will maybe give us a bit more of an indicator about how they'll do this season, more so than the Huddersfield game last uh, last Friday night. So, yeah, completely agree with that. Score prediction then? Yeah, I, th- I think... I think I'll go with the draw again, but I'm actually leaning towards a 1-0 Burnley win. Again, I can't see there being too many goals. I think Luton lack that little bit of clinical edge. It might take them a couple of games to get into, and I think Burnley will just snatch it late in the game. Yeah, Luton disappointed with just managing a point against Birmingham, but they didn't play badly. In fact, they actually played quite well. They just couldn't mm. find the back of the net. So I'm not really too sure. I'll just play it safe and go for a draw. In this one, I'll go one all. And then finally, on Friday night, Birmingham v Huddersfield. The potential relegation battle this season. Both have been tipped to be around there, haven't they, uh, come the end of the season. Um, any thoughts on this? Yeah, maybe uh, first line might cause a bit of anger amongst Huddersfield and Birmingham fans tipping a relegation battle this early in the season. But it, it, uh, it, there will be... Am I, am I being wrong just now? I think I've, every league table prediction I've seen has had Birmingham in the bottom three and Huddersfield just outside. No, it's a fair statement, but there are 45 games to go. Huddersfield could win the league at this point, so could Birmingham. You never know. It's a potential relegation battle. Okay, okay. I apologise profusely. I didn't mean to offend you. Not accepted. Carry on. (laughs) Um, What do I think of this game? I think this game's going to be, given how both teams went about um, their opening day games, I think it'll be a, a... a, a difficult one to predict in the sense that they are closely matched. Um, you, it's very difficult to judge where Huddersfield are going to go, going to go under Danny Schofield because, as I say, the, the first half performance against Burnley was terrible, probably one of the worst Huddersfield fans I've seen for a while. Second half performance, slight slight rise in, uh, in performance levels, but still not that good. Um, and same with Birmingham. Luton created a lot of chances, but Birmingham created chances themselves. So in that sense, I do think Birmingham do have the upper hand in this game. They do have a tidy starting eleven, which might um, they're probably their starting eleven is probably at this point better than Huddersfield's starting eleven because they have fit senior players. It's just whether or not they can last the ninety minutes, which might play into Huddersfield's hands. Yeah, I'm edging towards a Birmingham win here because I I thought they were obviously they were backs against the wall against Luton for a lot of the game but they defended really well Austin Trusty has earned rave reviews for his performance against uh, Luton and I think we could see them grind out another result here I'm not sure if Christian Bielik's going to be fit enough for the game but he'll be an added spark in the middle of the park as well as adding to the defensive side of the game so I could see Birmingham grinding out a result here and maybe nicking a goal Huddersfield I was amazed by how poor they were. And you're quite right. That was the worst Huddersfield performance I've seen in a long time. So, yeah, I'm going to go for a Birmingham 1-0 win here, Justin. Yeah, okay. I agree with you. I'll go Birmingham 1-0 as well. It, it all depends on how Huddersfield centre-halves deals with that physical battle with Troy Deeney and maybe Drukovic when he's, when he's introduced. Because Birmingham put in a lot of crosses against Lewin. Not always effective, but they will bombard the Huddersfield centre-halves once again. And I don't fancy them in the physical battle. Justin, now it's time for this.
Yes, it's time for the news. And Norwich have signed Chile international Marcelino. Marcelli, Marcelo. Marcelo. Come on. Come on. Marcelino Nunes. The 22 year old midfielder joined for an undisclosed fee from Universidad Catalica. He's the fifth Chilean to play in the championship. Ben Brereton Diaz is one. Can you name any of the remaining three, Justin? Gonzalo Hara. Good shout. Very good shout. Uh, the others you were looking for were Francisco Ciralta and oh, Jean Bozajor. Yeah. So there you go. Nice. Um, Justin, you're a big fan of the Chilean Premier Division. Tell me about Nunes. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, so he's a, he's a footballer who plays. He comes from Chile. Uh. <laughs> In-depth analysis here on the second tier as always. Um, one thing that we can say, of, of course, we haven't... Apart from YouTube compilations, we haven't really seen anything of Nunes, Havri. But he's a midfielder. He likes getting forward. And Norwich need more creativity, don't they? And similar to what we were saying about Sara, Norwich don't go out there and spend money very often. Or big bucks on players, anyway. So they've gone out and brought this lad in from Chile. They must have seen something in him for them to actually go out and get him. So... We were saying Norwich needed more creativity to actually give Pookie some service, and this looks to be another answer to that. Yeah, absolutely. I, th- I think as well he's he, he can play the the, the number eight as well, a bit more of a box box to box, and geographically chilly, We've got mountainous regions, so lungs are going to be good as well. Um, <laughs> but you know, on a serious note, as you say, Stuart Webber's clearly done a lot of South American research. Over the summer, I know work permit wise, it's a lot easier to get work permits from South America, strangely, than it is from European countries now because of Brexit. And that's why they're shopping in that market. It is quite smart, but it does take them a little bit longer to, South Americans just take them a little bit longer to um, adapt to life in in the UK and and to championship football, as as we've seen before with previous examples. But if it does get it, if it does get it right and he does start to play well, it's a really good find. Um, But it's just whether or not Norwich can afford that transition. Um, or, or what their plan is this season, whether they're happy for them to be in and around the playoffs and develop and build for the next two seasons. Because, as I say, it's a big transition, I think, that Norwich are going to go through this season. Middlesbrough have sold Marcus Tavernier to Bournemouth. He reportedly leaves for £10 million. How big a blow do you think this is, Justin? I think it is quite a big blow, but I, I also think that because they've got Ryan McGreets, it's softened a little bit. And obviously, Ryan Giles adds that creative spark from the left-hand side, so it is softened a bit. I'm just quite disappointed that he's, he's left, basically. I really enjoyed his performances last season for Middlesbrough, and I was really excited at what he could bring to this team because, as I say, from an XG perspective, his assist, um, potential for assist last season would have, would have skyrocketed if they could put chances away um, he really was an outstanding performer and to, to 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 know that he's going to go and play left wing back for Bournemouth really does frustrate me because he's a lot more than that yeah I'm very disappointed that plenty of reports have indicated Tavernier has kind of forced this move over the line and I find that very strange and a bit disrespectful actually because he's been at the club since he was 14 Borough have given him so much time um, to develop I remember three seasons ago, three or four seasons ago when Tavernier wasn't getting much game time um, and it was starting to look a bit like maybe he wasn't going to be the player that many people were tipping him to be Um, but now he's been given more of a role at Middlesbrough and he's been kind of the key man going forward, Santi. So for him to do this, I, I don't really understand it, Justin, because as you say, 
according to reports, he's going to be playing left wing back next season, which is strange in itself. But at the moment, Bournemouth look like they're going to be heading straight back down to the championship. So why be so desperate to move to a club who will quite likely be playing championship football again in a year's time? I'm not really too sure when you could be at the centre of everything good at Middlesbrough. I just don't really understand it at all. So strange move from Tavernier's perspective and very disappointing from Middlesbrough's perspective as well. Blackburn have suddenly got going in the transfer window. They've signed attacking midfielder Sammy Schmodix from Peterborough for an undisclosed fee, as well as 19-year-old Liverpool midfielder Tyler Morton on loan. Hey, Schmodix, that's an interesting signing, Justin. Yeah, it is. I've seen that the rumoured fee is around £2.5 million. As I say, that's just a rumoured fee, which... I probably wouldn't have paid that, but I think Greg Broughton, the director of football, sporting director, has come out and said he's going to he's going to play a specific role. He's got um, he, he's a very athletic midfielder, and he, he can add that goal threat as well. And he's likely to play in around that number ten spot, which does raise some questions about Bradley Dack and his future in the system under John Dahl Thomason. So, yeah, it is an interesting one. I am intrigued to see where it goes because, as I say, from a he, you know, he probably wasn't even first choice at Peterborough. But again, Broughton said that final 10 games where he was playing that number 10 position probably swayed Blackburn to um, to, to, to go after him. So it's an intriguing one, I, I think, and one that will be interesting to see how it plays out, especially with the Bradley Dack situ as well and where he might fit in. Well, it's not just Dack, is it? They've also got Buckley, Hedges. They've got so many players who can play in that number 10 role. So mm-hmm. for Blackburn to go out of their way and apparently spend millions on Sammy Schmodix is peculiar particularly because he hasn't really pulled up yeah. many trees at this level has he he was he was good in the um, final 10 games or so for Peterborough last season but prior to that he hadn't really done too much had he so yeah I, I don't really understand the thinking too much around this I would have not been surprised to just see him play another season at League One level to be quite frank and Tyler Morton played nine games in all competitions for Liverpool last season I think he was on the periphery of the Liverpool first team so yeah he's an interesting one to keep an eye on Luton have completed a double deal they brought in Grimsby before James McAtee he's gone back on loan to the Mariners and they've also got in 19 year old striker Arabim Peppel from Cavalry FC in Canada. And Blackpool have signed the son of Jolion Lescott. Donovan Lescott, who's a midfielder, has most recently been at Salford. He had, well, this is part of the horrific realisation at the weekend, Justin, that Charlie Craswell is the son of Richard Craswell. (laughs) And this is just part of our ongoing crisis of finding out footballers we watched as kids are now so old that their sons are playing professionally. And it's a grim realisation, isn't it? Away from transfer news, Sunderland say they are extremely disappointed about the alleged conduct of a small minority of Coventry fans during Sunday's game. They say several incidents were reported by supporters of both clubs at the Stadium of Light. It includes objects such as pyrotechnics, bottles and coins allegedly being thrown towards home fans in the North Stand. In a statement, Sunderland said police had started an investigation to identify the people responsible. Commentary say they'll be conducting investigations with relevant authorities privately and take the appropriate action against any individual that is identified as a perpetrator. I don't want to cause any controversy, but this isn't the first time we've had Coventry fans causing trouble, is it? And it seems to be, out of all the clubs in the Championship, Justin, this I've got no proof about this, but it just seems Coventry seems to spring up a lot more than other clubs. So I might be wrong on that point. There may be other clubs who are worse, but there seems to be a lot of Coventry fans trouble 
that happens with them. But uh, we'll leave that there. A former director of Cardiff has left a, has lost a high court case against owner Vincent Tan and the club's holding company. Michael Isaac and Tan have been involved in a bitter personal dispute that has lasted for a decade. Isaac claimed that his stake in Cardiff City had been unfairly diluted. He previously owned just under 4% of the share, but a deal left him with just over 1%. Justice Adam Johnson QC described Tan's behaviour as unpleasant, despite acting within his legal rights. And finally, QPR say they're incredibly disappointed and frustrated to say rail seating won't be in place for their first home game this weekend. The club wanted it to be in two wanted it to be in two areas of the Stanley Bowles stand, but due to ongoing supply issues, it won't be happening. As well as that, because the work has already started, fans won't be able to sit there now, so the club is having to relocate supporters from those areas. So that's just gone horribly wrong, hasn't it? Justin, shall we do Diddy or Dinty? Yes, please, need need it. <laughs> I haven't, unfortunately, created the jingle for this yet, but I will make one in the coming weeks. Um, Diddy or Dinty replaces the Craig Bryson pub quiz for the season in mm-hmm. midweek. How are you feeling about that, Justin? It's... Um... It's, it's sad. Craig Bryson pub quiz has been with us from the start and I'm sure it will pop up every now and then when we have little breaks in did he or didn't he's. Um, uh, but, you know, it was right to end it when it did. It was it was controversial how it ended. Um, so it's disappointing it's, it's done under a cloud. But we have did he and didn't he and it's genuinely one of the most um, anger and anxiety inducing experiences I think many people would go through if they ever played it. Absolutely. I could not agree more. Um I love the Craig Bryson pub quiz. I'm sure it'll be back at some point, but it's time for new blood to be given a go. <laughs> so this is the part of the show where I name for Justin 10 players with various connections to the championship and a club. All he's got to do is tell me whether they played for that club or not. He's got to have made a senior appearance for them. We'll keep track of the scores as the season goes on and see who is the biggest championship expert out of Justin and I after I was victorious last season. <laughs> um, Justin, do you want the first one? Yes, yeah, yeah. So the first player is Scott Malone, and the club is Coventry. Did he or didn't he? Well, that's a tough one to start with. I don't think he played for Coventry. He's from the West Midlands, but didn't play Mm. for Coventry. So Justin is spot on. First point on the board for Justin Peach this season. Next up is Jack Cork and Crystal Palace. Did he or didn't he? Oh, he's a very Palace-looking player, isn't he? Yeah, he had a lot of loan spells, um, but I don't think he. Oh, I don't think he crossed Crystal Palace's path. You're correct. I made it up. He didn't play for Crystal Palace, so two out of two for Justin. Matt Grimes and Blackburn. Did he or didn't he? That's a tough one because he came through Exeter, didn't he? Mm. Maybe a loan spell at Blackburn. I think he has played. A, I think he has had a loan spell at Blackburn. He was on loan there from Swansea for half a season in 2016. Completely passed me by. I thought you were Never knew that. 100% not going to get that. And something else I learned about Matt Grimes this week, Justin. When he was 15, he was part of an ultimate Frisbee team that won a national championships. Um, the team were called the Air Badgers. So uh, <laughs> think of that what you will. Uh, three out of three for Justin Peach so far. Junior Hoylet and Birmingham. Did he or didn't he? No. Uh, no. No. No, no, no. Sure? Yeah, I'm sure. He didn't. He seemed to play for every other team that plays, that wears blue and white, but he didn't play for Birmingham. Justin Peach on fire so far. Four out of four. Next up is Josh Bowler and QPR. Did he or didn't he? Yeah, he came through at QPR. Oh, but did he play? Yeah, yeah, he played. 
yeah, I'm not going to be that stingy and he give you a club that. Yeah, he did come up for a QPR. He was a youth player, made one championship appearance. Um, but I wouldn't, for future reference, I would never give you a player who was at a club who didn't actually play for them, if you see what I mean. I would. I, I'll play the game tactically. You're an utter bastard. Um, James Chester and Plymouth. No. No, yeah, 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 yeah. I'm going to say yes. Manchester United had a little bit of a cohort with Plymouth. Silver on the Banks Blake went down there. Maybe a couple of other players may have gone down there. I think James Chester may have been a, a lone player there one, at, one, at one time. He made three championship appearances in 2009 on loan. So you're absolutely spot on, Justin. <laughs> you are flying here. Chris Baird and Watford. No. I love Chris Baird. No way. I don't think he's played for Watford. Sure? Yeah, I know his career quite well. Eight appearances on loan. You're mad. <laughs> Maybe not. <laughs> yeah. So-called Chris Baird super fan. Um, this is your eighth one. You've got six so far. Matt Doherty and Preston. Hmm. Yes. I, got, I think he may have had, yeah, probably a loan spell there. Maybe when Preston were in League One. He didn't. I mean... <sighs> So you've got six out of eight so far, Justin. Jed Wallace and Wigan. Yeah, I think I do remember him playing for Wigan. Don't know where you've got that from because he didn't. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> oh, this, this is the thing. You're this doing is the great, so well. I know. This is the great thing about this game. Wheels can come off so quickly. <laughs> you've got six out of nine. This is your final one for this week. Leon Clark and Ipswich. Did he or didn't That's he? not fair. Why? That's not fair because Leon Clark has played for eighty percent of the EFL seventy two. <laughs> so by by just by the odds, it's likely that he's played for Ipswich at some point. So I'm going to say yes, especially if Mick McCarthy was manager. Oh dear, he didn't. He seems to play oh for just about God. everyone else, but didn't play for Ipswich. So after absolutely storming it, Justin Peach. Um, did a bit of a West Brom from last season. He got six out of ten in the end. So not a bad score by any means, Justin, to get you off the mark. It's, yeah, it's a steady. It's, it's very much a, a nil-nil in the opening day of the season, I think. Yeah, I, I think I think you'd take that, wouldn't you? It'd be interesting to see if any of us get full marks at some point this season. Because if if you do, I, 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 let's be honest, this game is guesswork for a lot of the time. Yeah. <laughs> it is. Yeah, absolutely. It's. I mean, last season, there was a couple that were... I think we was close, but never never got full marks. No, never got the magic 10. So we'll see if that can be amended at some point this season. But this has been our first midweek preview of the season, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you for listening wherever you are. We'll be back again on Sunday to go through all the championship games that are coming up this weekend as we have more of an insight into how teams are getting on for the season. So this has been the Second Tier Podcast. I've been Ryan Dilks. I've been Justin Peach. And thank you for listening.